section seven of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four the age of chaucer thirteen fifty to fourteen hundred the new national life and literature history of the period two great movements may be noted in the complex life of england during the fourteenth century the first is political and culminates in the reign of edward the third it shows the growth of the english national spirit following the victories of edward and the black prince on french soil during the hundred years war in the rush of this great national movement separating england from the political ties of france and to a less degree from ecclesiastical bondage to rome the mutual distrust and jealousy which had divided nobles and commons were momentarily swept aside by a wave of patriotic enthusiasm the french language lost its official prestige and english became the speech not only of the common people but of courts and parliament as well the second movement is social it falls largely within the reign of edward's successor richard the second and marks the growing discontent with the contrast between luxury and poverty between the idle wealthy classes and the overtaxed peasants sometimes this movement is quiet and strong as when wycliffe arouses the conscience of england again it has the portentous rumble of an approaching tempest as when john ball harangues a multitude of discontented peasants on blackheath commons using the famous text when adam delved and eva span who was then the gentleman and again it breaks out into the violent rebellion of wat tyler all these things show the same saxon spirit that had won its freedom in a thousand years struggle against foreign enemies and that now felt itself oppressed by a social and industrial tyranny in its own midst aside from these two movements the age was one of unusual stir and progress chivalry that medieval institution of mixed good and evil was in its indian summer a sentiment rather than a practical system trade and its resultant wealth and luxury were increasing enormously following trade as the vikings had followed glory the english began to be a conquering and colonizing people like the anglo-saxons the native shed something of his insularity and became a traveller going first to view the places where trade had opened the way and returning with wider interests and a larger horizon above all the first dawn of the renaissance is heralded in england as in spain and italy by the appearance of a national literature five writers of the age the literary movement of the age clearly reflects the stirring life of the times there is langland voicing the social discontent preaching the equality of men and the dignity of labor wycliffe greatest of english religious reformers giving the gospel to the people in their own tongue and the freedom of the gospel in unnumbered tracts and addresses gower the scholar and literary man criticizing this vigorous life and plainly afraid of its consequences 
and mandeville the traveller romancing about the wonders to be seen abroad above all there is chaucer scholar traveller business man courtier sharing in all the stirring life of his times and reflecting it in literature as no other but shakespeare has ever done outside of england the greatest literary influence of the age was that of dante petrarch and boccaccio whose works then at the summit of their influence in italy profoundly affected the literature of all europe chaucer thirteen forty question mark to fourteen hundred what man art thou quote he thou lookest as thou woldest findan hara for ever upon the ground is se the stara approach ne'er and look up merrily he sameth elvish by his countenance the host's description of chaucer prologue sir topas on reading chaucer the difficulties of reading chaucer are more apparent than real being due largely to obsolete spelling and there is small necessity for using any modern versions of the poet's work which seem to miss the quiet charm and dry humor of the original if the reader will observe the following general rules which of necessity ignore many differences in pronunciation of fourteenth-century english he may in an hour or two learn to read chaucer almost as easily as shakespeare one get the lilt of the lines and let the meter itself decide how final syllables are to be pronounced remember that chaucer is among the most musical of poets and that there is melody in nearly every line if the verse seems rough it is because we do not read it correctly two vowels in chaucer have much the same value as in modern german consonants are practically the same as in modern english three pronounce aloud any strange-looking words where the eye fails the ear will often recognize the meaning if eye and ear both fail then consult the glossary found in every good edition of the poet's works for final e is usually sounded like a in virginia except when the following word begins with a vowel or with an h in the latter case the final syllable of one word and the first of the word following are run together as in reading virgil at the end of a line the e if lightly pronounced adds melody to the verse in dealing with chaucer's masterpiece the reader is urged to read widely at first for the simple pleasure of the stories and to remember that poetry and romance are more interesting and important than middle english when we like and appreciate chaucer his poetry his humor his good stories his kind heart it will be time enough to study his language life of chaucer for our convenience the life of chaucer is divided into three periods the first of thirty years includes his youth and early manhood in which time he was influenced almost exclusively by french literary models the second period of fifteen years covers chaucer's active life as diplomat and man of affairs and in this the italian influence seems stronger than the french the third of fifteen years generally known as the english period is the time of chaucer's richest development 
servant he lives at home observes life closely but kindly and while the french influence is still strong as shown in the canterbury tales he seems to grow more independent of foreign models and is dominated chiefly by the vigorous life of his own english people first period chaucer's boyhood was spent in london on thames street near the river where the world's commerce was continually coming and going there he saw daily the shipmen of the canterbury tales just home in his good ship maudelaine with the fascination of unknown lands in his clothes and conversation of his education we know nothing except that he was a great reader his father was a wine merchant purveyor to the royal household and from this accidental relation between trade and royalty may have arisen the fact that at seventeen years chaucer was made page to the princess elizabeth this was the beginning of his connection with the brilliant court which in the next forty years under three kings he was to know so intimately at nineteen he went with the king on one of the many expeditions of the hundred years war and here he saw chivalry and all the pageantry of medieval war at the height of their outward splendor taken prisoner at the unsuccessful siege of rheims he is said to have been ransomed by money out of the royal purse returning to england he became after a few years squire of the royal household and personal attendant and confidant of the king it was during this first period that he married a maid of honor to the queen this was probably philippa roet sister to the wife of john of gaunt the famous duke of lancaster from numerous whimsical references in his early poems it has been thought that this marriage into a noble family was not a happy one but this is purely a matter of supposition or of doubtful inference second period in thirteen seventy chaucer was sent abroad on the first of those diplomatic missions that were to occupy the greater part of the next fifteen years two years later he made his first official visit to italy to arrange a commercial treaty with genoa and from this time is noticeable a rapid development in his literary powers and the prominence of italian literary influences during the intervals between his different missions he filled various offices at home chief of which was comptroller of customs at the port of london an enormous amount of personal labor was involved but chaucer seems to have found time to follow his spirit into the new fields of italian literature for one the labour don alles and hast imad the reckonings instead of rest and newer things thou goest home to the house anon and also dumb as any stone thou sittest at another boca till fully dustward is the loca and livest thus as an hermita note house of fame the passage is more or less autobiographical end of note third period in thirteen eighty six chaucer was elected member of parliament from kent and the distinctly english period of his life and work begins though exceedingly busy in public affairs and as receiver of customs his heart was still with his books from which only nature could win him 
and as for me though that me wit belite on bocus fort red i me delite and to him yev i faith en full credence and in mine heart have him in reverence so heartily that there is game anon that fro me bocus maketh me to gone but hit be seldom on the holy day save certainly when that the month of may is common and that ye hera the fowler singer and that the flores ginnen for to springa farewell me book and me devotion note legend of good women prologue in the fourteenth century politics seems to have been for honest men a very uncertain business chaucer naturally adhered to the party of john of gaunt and his fortunes rose or fell with those of his leader from this time until his death he is up and down on the political ladder to-day with money and good prospects to-morrow in poverty and neglect writing his complaint to his empty purse which he humorously calls his save your dawn in this world hair this poem called the king's attention to the poet's need and increased his pension but he had but few months to enjoy the effect of this unusual complaint for he died the next year fourteen hundred and was buried with honor in westminster abbey the last period of his life though outwardly most troubled was the most fruitful of all his truth or good counsel reveals the quiet beautiful spirit of his life unspoiled either by the greed of trade or the trickery of politics flee fro the press and dwell with sofasnesse sufisa unto the good though it be small for hod note wealth hath hater and cleaming ticklenesse press note the crowd hath envy and well note success blent note blinds over all savour no more than they behove shall work note act well thyself that other folk canst redder and truth shall deliver hit is no dread tempest note trouble they knocked al crooked to redress in trust of here note i e the goddess fortune that turneth as a ball great restus stand in little besinesse and ek bewar to sporna note kick again an al note all a w l striva nocht as doth the croker with the wall daunta note judge the self that daunta's others dead and truth shall deliver it is no dread that they is sent receive in booksumness the wrestling for this world axeth a fall hernis non home hernis but wilderness forth pilgrim forth forth best out of the stall 
know the contrary look up thank god of all hold the he way and let the ghost they led and troth shall deliver it is no dread works of chaucer first period the works of chaucer are roughly divided into three classes corresponding to the three periods of his life it should be remembered however that it is impossible to fix exact dates for most of his works some of his canterbury tales were written earlier than the english period and were only grouped with the others in his final arrangement the best known though not the best poem of the first period is the romant of the rose a translation from the french roman de la rose the most popular poem of the middle ages a graceful but exceedingly tiresome allegory of the whole course of love the rose growing in its mystic garden is typical of the lady beauty gathering the rose represents the lover's attempt to win his lady's favor and the different feelings aroused love hate envy jealousy idleness sweet looks are the allegorical persons of the poet's drama chaucer translated this universal favorite putting in some original english touches but of the present romant only the first seventeen hundred lines are believed to be chaucer's own work perhaps the best poem of this period is the death of blanche the duchess better known as the book of the duchess a poem of considerable dramatic and emotional power written after the death of blanche wife of chaucer's patron john of gaunt additional poems are the complaint to pite a graceful love poem the a b c a prayer to the virgin translated from the french of a cistercian monk its verses beginning with the successive letters of the alphabet and a number of what chaucer calls ballads roundels and virelays with which says his friend gower the land was filled the latter were imitations of the prevailing french love ditties second period the chief work of the second or italian period is troilus and Criseida, a poem of eight thousand lines the original story was a favorite of many authors during the middle ages and shakespeare makes use of it in his troilus and Criseida. the immediate source of chaucer's poem is boccaccio's il filostrato the love-smitten one but he uses his material very freely to reflect the ideals of his own age and society and so gives the whole story a dramatic force and beauty which it had never known before the hus of fama is one of chaucer's unfinished poems having the rare combination of lofty thought and simple homely language showing the influence of the great italian master in the poem the author is carried away in a dream by a great eagle from the brittle temple of venus in a sandy wilderness up to the hall of fame to this house come all rumors of earth as the sparks fly upward the house stands on a rock of ice written full of names of folk that hadn great famous many of these have disappeared as the ice melted but the older names are clear as when first written for many of his ideas chaucer is indebted to dante ovid and virgil but the unusual conception and the splendid workmanship are all his own 
the third great poem of the period is the legenda of godewemen as he is resting in the fields among the daisies he falls asleep and a gay procession draws near first comes the love god leading by the hand alcestes model of all wifely virtues whose emblem is the daisy and behind them follow a troop of glorious women all of whom have been faithful in love they gather about the poet the god upbraids him for having translated the romance of the rose and for his early poems reflecting on the vanity of fickleness of women alcestes intercedes for him and offers pardon if he will atone for his errors by writing a glorious legend of good women chaucer promises and as soon as he awakes sets himself to the task nine legends were written of which thisbe is perhaps the best it is probable that chaucer intended to make this his masterpiece devoting many years to stories of famous women who were true to love but either because he wearied of his theme or because the plan of the canterbury tales was growing in his mind he abandoned the task in the middle of his ninth legend fortunately perhaps for the reader will find the prologue more interesting than any of the legends third period chaucer's masterpiece the canterbury tales one of the most famous works in all literature fills the third or english period of his life the plan of the work is magnificent to represent the wide sweep of english life by gathering a motley company together and letting each class of society tell its own favorite stories though the great work was never finished chaucer succeeded in his purpose so well that in the canterbury tales he has given us a picture of contemporary english life its work and play its deeds and dreams its fun and sympathy and hearty joy of living such as no other single work of literature has ever equaled plan of the canterbury tales opposite old london at the southern end of london bridge once stood the tabard inn of southwark a quarter made famous not only by the canterbury tales but also by the first playhouses where shakespeare had his training this southwark was the point of departure of all travel to the south of england especially of those medieval pilgrimages to the shrine of thomas a becket in canterbury on a spring evening at the inspiring time of the year when longen folk to gone on pilgrimages chaucer alights at the tabard inn and finds it occupied by a various company of people bent on a pilgrimage chance alone had brought them together for it was the custom of pilgrims to wait at some friendly inn until a sufficient company were gathered to make the journey pleasant and safe from robbers that might be encountered on the way chaucer joins this company which includes all classes of english society from the oxford scholar to the drunken miller and accepts gladly their invitation to go with them on the morrow at supper the jovial host of the tabard inn suggests that to enliven the journey each of the company shall tell four tales two going and two coming 
on whatever subject shall suit him best the host will travel with them as master of ceremonies and whoever tells the best story shall be given a fine supper at the general expense when they all come back again a shrewd bit of business and a fine idea as the pilgrims all agree when they draw lots for the first story the chance falls to the knight who tells one of the best of the canterbury tales the chivalric story of palamon and arcite then the tales follow rapidly each with its prologue and epilogue telling how the story came about and its effects on the merry company interruptions are numerous the narrative is full of life and movement as when the miller gets drunk and insists on telling his tale out of season or when they stop at a friendly inn for the night or when the poet with sly humor starts his story of sir topas in dreary imitation of the metrical romances of the day and is roared at by the host for his drasty rhyming with chaucer we laugh at his own expense and are ready for the next tale from the number of persons in the company thirty-two in all it is evident that chaucer meditated an immense work of one hundred and twenty-eight tales which should cover the whole life of england only twenty-four were written some of these are incomplete and others are taken from his earlier work to fill out the general plan of the canterbury tales incomplete as they are they cover a wide range including stories of love and chivalry of saints and legends travels adventures animal fables allegory satires and the coarse humor of the common people though all but two are written in verse and abound in exquisite poetical touches they are stories as well as poems and chaucer is to be regarded as our first short story-teller as well as our first modern poet the work ends with a kindly farewell from the poet to his reader and so her talketh the makra of this book his lava prologue to the canterbury tales in the famous prologue the poet makes us acquainted with the various characters of his drama until chaucer's day popular literature had been busy chiefly with the gods and heroes of a golden age it had been essentially romantic and so had never attempted to study men and women as they are or to describe them so that the reader recognizes them not as ideal heroes but as his own neighbors chaucer not only attempted this new realistic task but accomplished it so well that his characters were instantly recognized as true to life and they have since become the permanent possession of our literature beowulf and roland are ideal heroes essentially creatures of the imagination but the merry host of the tabard inn madame eglantine the fat monk the parish priest the kindly ploughman the poor scholar with his bookus black and red all seem more like personal acquaintances than characters in a book says dryden i see all the pilgrims their humors their features and their very dress as distinctly as if i had supped with them at the tabard in southwark 
chaucer is the first english writer to bring the atmosphere of romantic interest about the men and women and the daily work of one's own world which is the aim of nearly all modern literature the historian of our literature is tempted to linger over this prologue and to quote from it passage after passage to show how keenly and yet kindly our first modern poet observed his fellow-men the characters too attract one like a good play the vere parfit gentil knicht and his manly son the modest prioress model of sweet piety and society manners the sporting monk the fat friar the discreet man of law the well-fed country squire the sailor just home from the sea the canny doctor the lovable parish priest who taught true religion to his flock but first he followed it himself the coarse but good-hearted whiff of bath the thieving miller leading the pilgrims to the music of his bagpipe all these and many others from every walk of english life and all described with a quiet kindly humor which seeks instinctively the best in human nature and which has an ample garment of charity to cover even its faults and failings here indeed as dryden says is god's plenty probably no keener or kinder critic ever described his fellows and in this immortal prologue chaucer is a model for all those who would put our human life into writing the student should read it entire as an introduction not only to the poet but to all our modern literature the knight's tale as a story palamon and arcite is in many respects the best of the canterbury tales reflecting as it does the ideals of the time in regard to romantic love and knightly duty though its dialogues and descriptions are somewhat too long and interrupt the story yet it shows chaucer at his best in his dramatic power his exquisite appreciation of nature and his tender yet profound philosophy of living which could overlook much of the human frailty in the thought that infinite ben the sorwis and the terrors of olde folk and folk of tender years the idea of the story was borrowed from boccaccio but parts of the original tale were much older and belonged to the common literary stock of the middle ages like shakespeare chaucer took the material for his poems wherever he found it and his originality consists in giving to an old story some present human interest making it express the life and ideals of his own age in this respect the knight's tale is remarkable its names are those of an ancient civilization but its characters are men and women of the english nobility as chaucer knew them in consequence the story has many anachronisms such as the medieval tournament before the temple of mars but the reader scarcely notices these things being absorbed in the dramatic interest of the narrative briefly the knight's tale is the story of two young men fast friends who are found wounded on the battlefield and taken prisoners to athens 
there from their dungeon window they behold the fair maid emily both fall desperately in love with her and their friendship turns to strenuous rivalry one is pardoned the other escapes and then knights empires nature the whole universe follows their desperate efforts to win one small maiden who prays meanwhile to be delivered from both her bothersome suitors as the best of the canterbury tales are now easily accessible we omit here all quotations the story must be read entire with the prioress tale of hugh of lincoln the clerk's tale of patient griselda and the nun's priest's merry tale of chanticleer and the fox if the reader would appreciate the variety and charm of our first modern poet and storyteller form of chaucer's poetry there are three principal meters to be found in chaucer's verse in the canterbury tales he uses lines of ten syllables and five accents each and the lines run in couplets his eyen twinkled in his head aricht as dawn the stairs in the frosty nicht the same musical measure arranged in seven-line stanzas but with a different rhyme called the rhyme royal is found in its most perfect form in troilus o blissful ict of which the bemus clara adorneth all the thridde heaven fairer o sonus lef o jovis doctor dera pleasance of love o goodly debonera in gentle hertus i ready to repaira o very cause of hell and of gladnesse i herit be the micht and the goodnesse in heaven and helle in earth and salte sea is felt the micht if that i well discerne as man brit best fish herbe and grene treia they felle intimus with vapor eterne god loveth and to love wol nocht werne and in this world no lives creatura with utten love is worth or may endure note troilus and Cressida the third meter is the eight-syllable line with four accents the line rhyming in couplets as in the book of the duchess that all she could so well playa when that her list that i darsea that she was leek to torture bricked that every man may tack of licht enough and hit hath never the lesser besides these principal meters chaucer in his short poems used many other poetical forms modeled after the french who in the fourteenth century were cunning workers in every form of verse chief among these are the difficult but exquisite rondel now welcome summer with this sonna softer which closes the parliament of fowls and the ballad flay fro the press which has been already quoted in the monk's tale there is a melodious measure which may have furnished the model for spenser's famous stanza 
chaucer's poetry is extremely musical and must be judged by the ear rather than by the eye to the modern reader the lines appear broken and uneven but if one reads them over a few times he soon catches the perfect swing of the measure and finds that he is in the hands of a master whose ear is delicately sensitive to the smallest accent there is a lilt in all his lines which is marvelous when we consider that he is the first to show us the poetic possibilities of the language his claim upon our gratitude is too first for discovering the music that is in our english speech and second for his influence on fixing the midland dialect as the literary language of england End of section seven.